0: You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. After you're done uh, greeting and getting your bagel and your coffee Mm -hmm. and your cinnamon toast crunch, um, we have the pleasure this morning of of hearing from a great new life couple. They work together here on staff. Becky and uh, David Grothy will be speaking to us today. And uh, before they come up here, just a few announcements. Um, If you are newish here, if you're brand new or new to the Mill Sunday School or the Mill, uh, I know last week was Desperation, so maybe some of you are still visiting from Desperation. We are so glad that you're here. If you're brand new and you would like to get on our email list and get a free gift, you can fill out this first timer card. It's on a lot of the tables. Give it to the people in the back there and they'll give you a free gift. It's like a CD of some of our original New Life Worship songs from the Mill and uh, like a welcome sermon for you And uh, we are so glad that you're here at Mill Sunday School Today we do, we do topics by month And all this month we've been hearing about marriage and family Has it been awesome? Yes I've, had, I've been sitting in on all these talks with uh, David Grothy And they've been amazing And today we have the privilege of having both David and Becky here They've been married for 32 years in August, right? <laughs> That's outstanding, you guys. That's, they've been married longer than I've been alive and longer than all you've been alive because I'm, I'm really old. I'm like 30. It's crazy. Um, so would you please welcome them? They, they're, they're here to speak to us about marriage and family and the things and lessons they've learned. They've, they've, for the last 13 years, right? For 13 years, you guys traveled and did marriage ministry and would go to conferences and speak about marriage. So they know what they're saying. Listen very carefully, whether you're married or just got engaged. Hi, Cliff. Cliff just got engaged like a couple days ago. He got engaged at Disneyland, got down on one knee as the fireworks were going off and uh, the Princess Castle thing. Isn't that precious? Aww. But, anyways, marriage is important, engagement's important, y- your relationships are important. Please welcome
1: David and Becky Grothy. We got engaged in my uncle's backyard with two dogs running around the bottom of the chairs we were sitting in. So romantic.
2: I think wherever you get engaged, it's romantic. Just the engagement itself is romantic. I would have gotten engaged anywhere you wanted to get engaged at that point. Really?
0: Go ahead.
1: Well, I'm just proud to be here. Um, This has been a great three weeks for me to have the privilege of speaking on a topic that's very, very close to my heart very important to my life and my family, and we've, ta- we've entitled this, these four weeks the Spirit-Filled Family, really, unless the Lord builds the house, the Scripture says they labor in vain that build it. Make sure this couple gets a couple of outlines. You need to get an outline. I'm picking on them because this is my youngest daughter, Anna Joy. Anna Joy, good to see you.
2: And that's her boyfriend, Stephen.
1: Stephen Zarlingo. No pressure,
2: Stephen, sitting in here in the Spirit-Filled Family class.
1: Stephen Zarlingo from Smithtown, New York, Long Island. His father and mother pastor the Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle. And uh, Stephen just graduated from Oral Roberts University and has been on a six or seven week mission to South America and Central America and the Caribbean and just got... Here this week, and we're happy to have him for a few days. Bisting. The spiritual family for us is a way of life. You sometimes, when you study praise and worship, you talk about praise becoming a lifestyle, that we just live in an attitude of praise, an attitude of gratitude. We learn to be godly by learning how to be grateful and it becomes a way that we live. I want to encourage and challenge each one of you in the mill to develop a lifestyle of not just spirit-filled living, but really letting the flesh be put to death by allowing the spirit to live big in you, to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, as the Bible teaches, to let the fruit of the spirit become... A reality, love, enjoy peace, patience, long-suffering, forgiveness, a gentleness, mercy, all the elements and characteristics of the Spirit of God. And when it becomes a part of your personal life and you marry somebody that is like-minded, just glossing over some high points here, somebody that you are equally yoked, somebody that has not just a faith like yours, a believing faith in Jesus Christ that you're equally yoked there, but you're also equally yoked in the the lifestyle and patterns that you embrace in a spouse. So many couples get married for one reason, and that's usually some sort of physical attraction in the world. And that one reason soon goes away, And they have nothing else in common. Or I say goes away, becomes commonplace or becomes too uh, for granted. And there's nothing else for them to build upon. So I'm going to encourage you to find, when you find your marriage partner, when you're looking at uh, moving toward, toward the altar and toward life together for the rest of your life until death do you part, Look for things that will be able to be commonalities that you can build and stake your life upon. I'm honored to introduce possibly the most newlywed couple here in the building. Uh, Joe had had been counseling and working with uh, Shelly Harris and Sean McRae and now I'd like to introduce two weeks into their marriage Mr. and Mrs. Sean McRae sitting right here on the front row. They got married at... In Littleton, and on a, after a brief honeymoon to Cabo San Lucas, are back now at the front row. I mean, married couples sitting in the front row of the mill, not ashamed of the gospel. So, Becky, it's good to have you for this last session. What's in your heart?
2: Well, I'm I'm happy to be here. I would have enjoyed being here the last three weeks, but I wasn't invited so <laughs> i 'm just teasing she's I had looking other, at she 's looking at other. Joe
1: as she said that.
2: I had just a few other responsibilities, so I got those covered this morning, and I am thankful to be here and I know Dave has had an opportunity the last three weeks to kind of tell you his story and um, probably speak on our behalf but there 's a few things that i 'd like to say uh, in opening remarks before we actually get into your outline. Did you tell them how we met? Don't or how know, but I first a, saw? I'd love you? to hear it again. Okay. I have to just tell you this story because first of all, I am kind of a storyteller and, and learn better by stories personally. Um but it's also a neat story i went to oral roberts university when i was 17 i graduated from high school and went straight to oru and uh, i grew up on an indian reservation in northern idaho and there were just 500 people in our town and there were uh, 48 in my graduating class and it was the biggest class in the history of the school so a uh, little small town and i went to oru and uh, the university would send buses out to pick... or I'm sorry, the churches would send buses out to the university to pick up students that didn't have transportation and I didn't have transportation. So I went that first Sunday that I was in Tulsa and I was looking at this lineup of church buses and just got on a bus that said Sheridan Assembly because it just sounded like it would be a good church to go to. And uh, so that... First Sunday, I went to Sunday school, and then I went into the uh, sanctuary, and I was all alone. I didn't know anybody at school or in the town, and I was pretty overwhelmed um, moving to such a big city, and uh, I was sitting in the about the third row in the sanctuary, and the choir marched out, and in the back row, right in the center, you know how in choirs, they usually have the short people on the ends, and then... Go up and have the tall people in the middle. Well, that's the way they did it at this church. And so, in the, uh, so he's standing now to further illustrate my message. So, standing in the very center of the back row of this choir was this tall, dark haired, handsome guy. His hair was about my color then. And, uh, and my hair color is about his hair color now in reality, but anyway, I saw him and I had this thought, if I could marry him, I would be the happiest person in the whole world. Is that neat? And it was him. And uh, I didn't know he was an ORU student, and uh, it wasn't something that I thought, oh my goodness, now I have to find out. I've got to get this guy's address. I've got to get his phone number. I've got to start stalking him, <laughs> you know, because I have kind of got a little bit of a word here maybe, and uh, I've got to help this along. Uh, I didn't do that, thankfully. Uh, I, he just at that moment represented for me, What could be just a wonderful um, husband? And we didn't actually meet until our... He was an ORU student that I found out later, but a mutual friend introduced us at spring break.
1: About seven months later.
2: Yeah, of our freshman year. I was going home with her to New York for spring break, and she asked Dave if he would take us to the airport and he agreed and that's when we met and even then when i met him i didn't think oh my goodness this is god this is that guy in the choir you know i've got to really work this Uh, anyway so then we met um again had our first date the five months after that about the second or third week of our sophomore year and So, what I wanted to tell you about that, in addition to that being a sweet story that usually generates some, oh, which is always nice because words of affirmation is my main love language. And even groans, it doesn't have to be words, but even if you just kind of, oh. Groans of affirmation. Groans of affirmation. So, anyway, the, the reason I wanted to share that story with you is we feel like it's a very important thing to have a word from the Lord before you marry somebody. And not to just, well, it seems to be, you know, a good fit. He likes the same things I like. And I'm getting old and, you know, so I probably should just go ahead. I hear some people tell, actually tell young couples, you know, you're not getting any younger, And you don't know, this may be the best thing that comes around. So I say, go for it and then work out all the details later. And that's really not our counsel to you. Our counsel is that the person you marry... I was thinking about this morning, sometimes people say, um, next to your decision to accept Jesus, the person you marry is one of the most important decisions you'll make. And I decided this morning... Next to accepting Jesus, it's the most important decision that you make. Because if everything is wonderful at home, things are going to be good. And if everything is out of whack at home or unhappy at home, then the rest of the world is unhappy. No matter how much you love your job or your friends or your calling, if your life isn't right at home... um, You won't be happy. So I want to encourage you, have a word. And then the second thing is, uh, I'm going to ask a question, but you don't have to raise your hand. But you can if you want. How many of you have a list? Kind of a list of what you're looking for? Okay, lists really scare me. Because if I had had a list, I would not have... and, And if Dave had had a list... We would not have fit each other's list because his list would have been five eleven, plays the piano. What else?
1: I have totally forgotten.
2: Oh. That is profound. That is really profound. Put your hand down. Honey. Oh, I'm
1: just admiring here.
2: So. I would have had a list that would have been, because my experience and, and the thing that I had kind of gravitated toward in high school and before meeting Dave was um, a jock, a, a real, you know, big athlete. Now, Dave is a great baseball player and golfer and, and is, has athletic abilities, but you know what I'm saying. But I wasn't a jock. You weren't a jock. And so lists make me a little bit nervous because we can kind of list God right out of the equation if we're not careful. I know a beautiful young girl who's now probably about 36, and she's gorgeous and gifted and sweet and, and professional. Uh, professional and just a, a wonderful person. But one of the things literally on her list is is that she will and she's not shallow even but on her list is that she will marry a millionaire. And so I'm thinking, well why don't you take that off your list and then when you get married pray for God to prosper you. You know, but to have that on your list really narrows the field. <laughs> so anyway, be be cautious about I think your list can include things like loves God, um, is kind to people, you know, some characteristics or character traits. But sometimes our list becomes pretty carnal, like Dave's (laughs) 5'11", piano player. He said to me one time after we were engaged, I wish you were 5'11". I said, tell me something I can do something about. I cannot help that.
1: And you wonder why I've forgotten everything else on my list. Yeah.
2: So I'm thinking, if you want to tell me to be more outgoing, tell me that. Or less outgoing. Or, you know, any of those things you have some control over. But to say, I wish you were 5'11", that's discouraging.
1: It's kind of an afterthought. It was just a passing fleeting my mother was 5'11, you yeah. know, kind of a And thought. that
2: there's something to that too. It's kind of that mother-son. I don't know. So, have a word and be be cautious about your lists. Now, Dave told you about his family background and and the uh, violence and abuse that he lived in all of his life and my family I was also thinking about it this morning really was a perfect family although we weren't really perfect for me it was a perfect family loving mother and father and um, lots of siblings and uh, so I grew up in a real healthy place and I feel like even today I'm healthy as a person in large part because my dad honored my mother And played with his children. And that's a pretty, you know, we can all do that. We can all raise healthy children. So anyway, that's just a few little opening. I wanted to get those in before we got into our outline to make sure that I got to say at least half of what I wanted to say today.
1: If you want to write a title up above the headline there, we're going to give you six points. But the title of this is, You Can Have a Happy Home. And some people have no faith, no perspective that that can even be a part of their life. I believe in endurance. I believe in commitment. I believe that when you make a vow, you keep a vow. The scripture says it's better to not make a vow than to make one that you cannot or will not or do not plan to keep. It's better to not make a vow than to make one you can't keep. I believe in keeping vows, commitment, longevity, long-suffering, endurance. But... I also believe you can enjoy this journey with your mate, with your family. You can endure, but you can also along the way enjoy, have fulfillment, refreshing. Uh, for me, my prayer as a kid was, all I want is a happy home. All I never saw it, never enjoyed it, never experienced it. All I want is a happy home. Uh, all of my children would have now... 32 years into our marriage, all of my kids would have their own description of what that happy home has looked like. I have my own perspective of it. Becky has a, an added perspective of what our happy home really not only has meant, but what it, it continues to be today. And you can, I just want you to walk away, if the, if the bottom line outcome at 1040 today is measured any other way, I want you to have faith that you can have a happy home. I believe some of us in this room have experienced so much kind of uh, disappointment in what we've seen and what we've experienced, even extended family members that haven't, had, haven't done it well. I want you to have faith that you can have that home.
2: How many of you are currently married? Raise your hand. Or engaged. Keep your hands up. How many of you are okay? All right, Good. Well, these, these points that we we're going to make are not extremely deep. We decided we would leave all the deep teaching to Joe. Yeah.
1: Because Dr. Joe, Dr. Dr. Joe,
2: Joe, he's got, let's give him another hand.
1: Those of you who are not aware, just completed, just completed his dissertation and was awarded his Doctor of Ministry degree just a week and a half, two weeks ago in Van Nuys, California at King's College Commencement.
2: Isn't that awesome? So he is a, one smart guy. And uh, so the points that we're going to share today are pretty basic and not only relate to your marriage relationship, but really to all of our relationships. And the first point in having a happy home is to be kind, be nice. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. And then Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Do you know that most of our uh, arguments or tension in our homes or in any of our relationships... Would be resolved if we were just kind to each other several years ago we were we scheduled a, a couple scheduled a counseling appointment with us in our office and we'd known them for years they had uh, a blended family and um, anyway, so they came in and this guy basically just to kind of describe him not to be mean but to kind of give you a description of him he was kind of a bully bully to his wife and to his children and um, so he sat there in our office and he did this (laughs) I just want to be the high priest of my home I just want to be the high priest of my home (sighs) so I just said she just wants you to be nice She doesn't care about the priesthood right now. She just wants you to be nice. And if you can't be nice, you don't get to be the priest. (laughs) And he did not like that, but she really did. And so I'll just say that to you. Although we believe in the husband being the head of the home and representing God to his family and his family to God and, and all of that very good stuff. If you aren't nice to your family, you don't get to be the priest. And some men just want a place of authority and a place of lording over their family members, but they don't have the character and the nature of Jesus operating in their life. So the first one is just be nice. Now here's a little test. Are you, for those of you who are married... Are you nicer to people on the telephone or at the store or at the post office or out in the driveway? Are you nicer to those people than you are your own family members? Are you? No? Sometimes I am. And there have been times that I have just been on a tear around our house and with our With my husband, with our four children. And then the phone ring. And I transform into... Isn't there a new movie out? Is there a Transformer movie out? Oh,
1: yeah,
2: I guess. I transform into the nicest lady you have ever met. Hello? Yes, amen, amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Love you, bro, dude. Amen. All of those nice things. And then your family is sitting there in the room. Your family that you have just been hateful to is sitting and they would look at me like, who in the world are you? Where did all that niceness come from? I told a couple not very long ago that, uh, the man was just so mean. And I, and actually it was a woman and she was in customer service. I, She was talking about all this rage that she has. And I said, now, what is your occupation? And she said, I'm in customer service. (laughs) Well, customer service, you have to be really, you got to be sweet and diplomatic. And I said, well, obviously, you have it in you to be nice to people and to problem solve and to uh, be diplomatic. And if you only have a little bit of nice in you, then you save it for the people you live with. If you can say, I can only be nice one hour a day, then you do that, you go to bed early and get up late and save that one hour of niceness for the people that you live with.
1: So being nice or being kind is this. Kindness is communicating someone is valuable by your actions. Kindness is communicating that someone is valuable your actions how would your kids those of you that are married those of you that are soon to be married or parents down the road always ask this question how do your kids describe you do they describe you as fun loving kind listening ear are you a nag, a grouch sarcastic, are you a hypocrite do you ask your kids to do tell your kids to do one thing and not do it yourself you expect a, a different standard of those that live with you as opposed to the standard you yourself live by. Be kind. Set a tenor. And I, I want to say this for men in particular. Guys, husbands, fathers are the thermostat in any home. If I'm, if I'm positive, if I'm alive with the peace of God, kindness, that, that's going to set that temperature in my house. But if I'm upset, grouchy, put out, uh, ticked at something or somebody, that whole thermostat, that whole temperature is going to be set in my house. And I'm aware of it. And I I claim victory in some areas. And I claim I've missed that more than once in my home, being able to walk in the front door and immediately the temperature is set. Okay? And your kids can pick that up quicker than anybody. Number two. One of the main keys for us in our happy home is to be forgiving. Number two is be forgiving. Matthew said it this way. Jesus, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So get it this way. Your own forgiveness is predicated on your ability to forgive somebody else. Jesus said if you can't forgive, don't expect your sins to be forgiven. Mark eleven twenty five, great four or five verses here. But Jesus said it, when you stand praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will be able to forgive your sins too. Forgiveness, uh, well, let's say it this way. A family is a great proving ground and a great learning place for forgiveness. Learning how to look each other in the eye and say, Becky, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me.
2: I forgive you, Dave.
1: Now, asking for forgiveness and, and, and apologizing is one thing. Being able to extend forgiveness and release forgiveness is the other part of that equation. A family is no place to hold grudges. I heard, I heard it said by a couple that I've known quite well. And they say it jokingly, but it really is the sarcasm holds truth. I don't get mad. I get even. And that sounds like a little prank joke. But really, what happens is in a family that lives this way, okay, okay, I'm going to mark that down and you, yours is coming, brother. Or, I, yeah, okay, you've, you've done me this way? Just wait. You'll see. I'll get you payback. And payback is, is totally the wrong way to approach a marriage relationship. Uh, I knew a lady once. Becky and I did. Who, who on purpose never made her children apologize. Her thought was, well, if it's not in their heart, I'm not going to make them say it. Now, we teach our children to say, "Yes, sir," and be polite. "No, sir." "Yes, ma'am." "May I?" and raise their hand. We teach our children all sorts of social skills and etiquette. How come we can't teach our children spiritual truths? Learning how to ask for forgiveness. Learning how to say, "I was wrong. I'm sorry." And you know those children that this lady raised. Every one of them, good people, but they're never one of them ever, ever wrong. They're always the right one. I'm never wrong. You're the. You're, it's you that's wrong. I'm not the wrong. I'm not in the fault. They've never learned, even to this day, as adult children, how to say, "I was wrong." Let's practice it. Say it with me. I was wrong.
2: I was wrong.
1: Could you say it like you really mean it? You know. Have you ever been?
2: I was wrong.
1: Now let's practice. I'm sorry. Please forgive me.
2: I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Now this is the harder one. That's hard. It's hard to say I'm wrong. But how many of you have a hard time saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. <laughs> oh, that's so painful. Okay. Then for you, you're probably like me. It's even harder to say, you were right. Right. Because I can say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. But then to have to say, you were right, it's just painful. So let's, let's say that. If you're married, do a little back and forth with your spouse. And uh, if you're not, find somebody to Call say Call their name. Son. Yeah. Call
1: their name. Say, Sean, Sean, you look at her and say, Shelly, please forgive me. And Shelly, you look back at him and say, Sean, I forgive you. See, you put your name in there, it gets yeah. real personal. Becky, please forgive me. I, I forgive was wrong. you, Dave.
2: I forgive you. But actually, you were right. I, <laughs> I, w- I remember one time that I was wrong. Yeah. We had, we had this little sheer curtain over our bathroom window. And it had a, uh, you know, just sheared on the rod. So it had a hem at the top and the bottom. And the bottom hem was about two inches, and the top was about an inch or so. And I was walking by; the it had been hanging there for about seven years. And I walked by, and I noticed it, and I said to Dave, "I think that is upside down. I think it's supposed to go the other way. Would you turn that up? Turn that for me, because he could reach it." And. Uh, so I said, would you turn that around? And he got, climbed, had to climb in the bathtub to get to it and do it and turned it. And then uh, just a little bit later that day, I walked by it and I said, oh, my goodness, I was wrong. It, it was right before. And he did this. Oh, say that again. <laughs> I said, what? And he said, just, just say that again, that part about you were wrong. I don't said, admit that. And she very said, well. go
1: ahead and change it back. I said, No, we're going to leave that just as it is as a memorial to the one time that you were wrong.
2: <laughs> and we did. It's still hanging upside down today.
1: <laughs> so, but we're
2: happy. We're happy.
1: So unforgiveness unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You've heard this said. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for someone else to die. It's not going to happen. You're the one. Another, another picture. Think of a length of rope with a knot in the middle of it. Just a big, nice rope with a knot. Forgiveness is to untie the knot and make it straight. A lot of people in life that are going around with a knot in their life, a stomach knot, they're just tense, they're all knotted up, they've got unforgiveness, they've got grudges. Just untie the knot and let it go. Let it go in your family.
2: The third point is to control your tongue. Control your mouth. Watch what you say. James 3, 2. We all make many mistakes, but those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 10. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God wants you to do, and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, if you want a happy life and good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and keep your lips from telling
1: lies. Now underline those verses, please. The part about a happy life and good days. If you want it, and I'm going to assume that everybody in this room wants it. If you want a happy life and good days, this is your responsibility. If you want it, here's what you do. Salvation cannot be earned. Titus 3.5 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. It's his mercy that brings us salvation. But then, beyond that, he says, if you would like to enjoy all the benefits of my salvation, here's what you do.
2: Honey, I just had a thought when you were saying that. For some people, they would rather have their own way than be happy. And isn't that strange? But sometimes pride comes in and, and uh, because I've actually thought I've heard and known what was right and just absolutely made a decision to not do it because either I wanted to prove a point or I wanted to be right or I was too proud to give in and admit that I was wrong. So, uh, but there, there's a real key here to that, and that's controlling our tongue. Dave told you about his family, and there was so much name-calling and angry words, and he told me when we were dating, uh, and then as we got engaged, he said, now, we won't call, uh, we won't have any name-calling in our family. So I'm thinking, okay, that's that's good. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be something we needed to talk about beforehand, but it was important to him, so I'm compliant and, uh, and he said, because that escalates. Even kind of innocent name-calling can escalate in the heat of an, uh, of an argument. So we didn't even call each other just um, it, kind of innocent little names. Uh, this is an old story, but it's my favorite story uh, related to this passage in Not Repaying Evil for Evil. And instead paying them back a blessing. When Anna was four years old, she had gone to her little kindergarten. And that night, I was putting her to bed, and she started to cry. And she was just weeping and tears. She's so dramatic, much like her father. So she's weeping. And I said, Anna, why are you crying? And she said her best friend that day had called her a crybaby on the playground. Her best friend, Christine, and she said, she just kept calling me, crybaby, 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 and it just made me so sad, and she was just so hurt. So I shared the scripture with her. I said, well, Anna, you know what the Bible says? When people call us names and say unkind things about us, we don't get to call names back. And you don't get to repay evil for evil, but instead, we bless those people. And so when people call you a name, you don't call them a name back. Instead, instead you say, bless you. And so that did not make any sense, even to a four-year-old. But we went over that passage, you know, and I'm really having a teaching moment there and feeling really good about imparting that truth to my four-year-old. And so I said, um, so, Anna, when you go to school tomorrow, if Christine calls you a name, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to hit her in the face. (laughs) So we had to start all over again. So she actually gets that from me. And uh, because my response is more, I'm going to hit them in the face. But not only do we not get to hit people in the face when they say unkind things to us or about us, we have to bless them. And I think I'm doing so well to just not hit them. And then I say, Lord, I'm doing so well not to hit them. Do I really have to bless them? (laughs) And you really do. You have to bless people when they're unkind to you. Especially in your family. If you've got a husband or a wife that's short-tempered or, you know, not kind, we bless them. So let's just kind of practice that right now. Just everybody say, bless you. Kind of have a lilt. Bless you. Bless you. Yes. And look them right in the eye and uh, make a decision today. You're not going to hit anybody in the face.
1: And also... In your family, you want to...
2: Honey, they're still blessing each other. Oh, good.
1: Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. In your family, you want to establish things that are appropriate and then just decide what's not going to be appropriate in your home. Like what? We don't say shut up.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: We just, you know, oh, shut up. Mm. Now, that just sounded harsh. We don't... I so, said it
2: one time. Yeah.
1: Becky Becky sinned and slipped and fell. I
2: said it. I said it. And I'm so sad that I can't say I've never told my kids to shut up. Because one time, and really only one time, I've said, shush. But only one time I said, shut up. And they were all just being so loud. And I was trying to get to church so God could use me. And I had all these kids around me just... Mom, 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 mom. And Christine and Jessica were about four or five, and Daniel was about three, and they, we were standing at the back door, and I said, Would you just shut up? Does that sound ugly? They all looked at me, because they had never heard that in our home, and they whispered among themselves, Mom is going to hell. <laughs> mom has just said the S word. She's going to hell. So we don't say, shut up. It's just, it's just rude to say that.
1: We don't call each other names. We don't say, you're an idiot. Uh, you make me so sick. Uh, you'll never amount to anything. I don't know where you... You don't have a brain in your head. Mm. All those kinds of harsh words, which are culturally acceptable, and our, our culture has become so coarse uh, through media and just everything... And just the, 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 the normal course of business. People are just coarse. They're, they're bugged. They're tired. They're upset. They're disappointed in the world doing business. You know, what is customer service? I wondered. Somebody needs to write a book. Where did customer service ever go in, in just the business world? Uh, but don't defile your family with your words. Number four. Do unto others. This is the golden rule. This is the crux of what Jesus taught about loving each other. He said in Matthew 7, verse 12, Do for others what you would like for them to do for you. This one idea, Jesus said, is a summary of everything that preceded him. Everything in the book, right there. He said, here's the sum total of everything right there do for others what you would like for them to do for you. If you want people to be gentle with you, sow gentleness in your relationship with them. If you want people to be attentive or listen to you when you speak, s- sit down and sow some attention. I've, I've told parents, if you want your kids to listen to you when you're old, listen to them when they're, they're young. You need to establish a relationship, not just a one-way dialogue, but a a one-way monologue, but a two-way dialogue, parents and children, moms and dads. So whatever it is that you're desiring to have in your family, do it for them. Do it overtly. Do it intentionally first, initially. Well, when he's nice to me, I'll be nice to him. No, that's not the way it works. You sow that first, husbands and wives. If you want your wife to listen to you, husbands, listen to her. If you want her to communicate with you, open up and communicate with her. Do for others. And always make it a priority to do it first. Always be an initiator. Both husbands and wives have a role of initiating individual conversation. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just the husband that initiates everything. No. A wife can initiate as well in every area of, of their life. So be in in the middle of Matthew seven twelve. Do for others what you would like for them to do to you. Go ahead. do the next one. Very quickly. What time is? I can't see. Is it thirty? Okay, we're going to wrap this up here. Number five. Walk in agreement. Now, that sounds kind of spiritual, but here's what it says, and I've, I've given you this verse over the last three weeks. My favorite verse for couples. Amos 3 3 asks the question Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? King James is even more direct How can two people walk together except they be agreed? It's a rhetorical question that gives us a no answer. <clears throat> they cannot. You cannot be together as a couple in your marriage unless you find a place of agreement agreeing on how you spend your money agreeing on how you discipline your children agreeing on career changes and and career moves every area find a place to join you may have to compromise now when I use the word I don't mean back away from your your hard uh, held long-held principles of morals and faith I'm not asking you to compromise who you are I'm asking you to give, to defer, to bend a little bit, to be, find a place where you can fit together on all these decisions. Be willing to modify your desires in order to be in agreement. Psalm 133 says it this way, How wonderful, how beautiful. When brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, families get along, It's like costly anointing oil flowing down the head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes. Yes, notice this, underline this. There, the place of agreement, there, when two people decide to take strife out of their life and and love each other intentionally and give and prefer each other. There, God commands The Green just said to do do on albums.
2: Don't seem to out. I were As such a stop. they Evil or what a black to the naked face face. So did you what is
1: what? Song. What Point is. Really annoying. My-
2: moment I do. Little heat saying. Just go. And that I I know. i
1: I'm There's like. Four. Books. Five. Five. One. Eight. So, okay. ever. the Dry friscoe. Also, author, author the author P. I. It's...
2: Oh. Our and he and oh, yeah. I I prefer not uh, is this in a uh, old picture it. Oh, the hey. So, it's emotional. I mean, he he's his house. He that It's dark. Even really close. That's my favorite. We're heading. Hey, we're hand tight Now he's useful pick that we are very ready to Uh, the real point of the is all like a picture. Sorry, you the perfect in size a you keeping
1: when our children so fusion <laughs> to, to the end the door. Drive. Our peace, our relationships with our t- There's peace for our and Thank you thank guys so much.
0: When you get out of that, we will on the hot. i wanted so you can get to see